All right, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, we, we thank you that we can gather together. And God, I just pray that as we enter into your word this morning, that Father, you would, you would be with us, that you would be present, that you would show us the things that you want us to see this morning, Father. God, I just pray that as we, uh, as we look at this, that you would help remind us of who you are, remind us of your power in our lives. So, Father, I ask these things in your name. Amen. And before I forget, too, turn around and say good morning to everybody. Let's, let's do that. I completely forgot. I'm sorry. And at home, say good morning. There's a little chat. You can say good morning there. All right. So our, we're, we're continuing on with, uh, with where Pastor Nick had uh, left off last week. We were talking about the, the high priestly prayer there in John 17. So uh, we had Velma, Pastor Velma read uh, verses 6 to 19 um, today. So last week, Jesus begins praying, and he's praying for himself. He's kind of getting, getting that, um, that strength and everything from, uh, from that prayer. And he gives glory to God for the work that has been done through him to that point. So then the next section that we're, we're looking at here, the 6 to 19, this is, this is a prayer for his disciples, for the beneficiaries, if you will, the ones who things are going to be left to once Jesus departs. So we, we start by looking at um, those that the Father has given him, which I really like the way that's worded, those that the Father has given him. So if we start in verse 6, Jesus says that I have manifested your name. And that revelation right there entails making known to the Father, or making known the Father, sorry, not to the Father, making known the Father in his whole person, both in works and words. Jesus has made the Father known. And that's important. That's important to start out with here. This prayer that he's praying. I have manifested your name. I have made you known to these people. Yours they were. And this would be those faithful disciples of Jesus. It can also be, though, the, the faithful Jews, the people who were already faithful to God before, because this extends beyond the disciples. So the, the, the faithful Jews, the people who were faithful to God before Jesus came, they were gods. Yours they were. But it also speaks into the future, the ones that are to come, that God is giving to the work of Christ. 
the Gentiles that come to the light, right? We see that as, as one of those end goals that's, that's coming up. And we talked about that a lot throughout Acts. Some of that early work of the early church was, was getting into start preaching to the disciples and showing them the light. So these people, they've all now been given to Jesus, especially the disciples, though. They've gone, these disciples, they've gone from being faithful Jews to Christians because they've seen the work that Jesus has done. They've seen what Christ has done. And they have faith. They know and believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. And we see that through Jesus' prayer here. His prayer is for these people. So then in verse 9, those whom you have given to me, those are those who already believed and those who would come to believe. And when we go back and look at chapter 6, if we back up in John a little bit to chapter 6 and look at verse 37, we, we see evidence of that. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The Father is giving over those who believe to the Son, to Jesus. So he's praying for those who are going to continue his work. He's praying for the people who are going to pick up the mantle and continue the work. So we as disciples are at the disposal of the Father as believers of Jesus' mission because we believe that we are supposed to continue what Jesus came to do, right? Yes. Continuing to spread the gospel and bring light to the darkness, right? We serve to glorify Jesus through carrying out his mission. That is the ultimate goal, and we serve to glorify him. And we bring glory through that to the redeeming shepherd God of Israel. We bring glory to God through the work that we do for Jesus. And when we continue on and look at verse 12 there, this is a big chunk, so I'm kind of burning through the, the early parts of it here. When we look at verse 12, there's something to note. Jesus says that there were none lost but one according to the scriptures. So at this stage, this is, this is right before Jesus was arrested. Um, we know that Judas was lost, um, which was according to the scripture. So when we go back and we look at like Psalm uh, 49.9, even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It happens, we see it in, in, in scriptures, in the prophets and in the old books, that there is reference that, yeah, somebody was going to betray Jesus. This was known for a long time. There was a betrayal by a friend but we need to be careful when we look at this and consider this because we can easily take it to mean the Bible, the scriptures, set Judas up for failure. That he, he had to do it because 
the Bible said that he would. God can't protect us from our own calculating cold destruction. So it's not that God set him up to fail. It's that God knew that what was going to be in Judas's heart. He knew how it would play out. So we see that with the fall. Right? God didn't want mankind to fall and disobey. We see that with Samson. God didn't want Samson to mess up, lose his hair, and then that whole debacle. And we see it with David, Bathsheba, right? We see it over and over again where people fail. And we've talked about this in the past. It happens. We're human. We are flawed humans. We aren't perfect. We're to strive for perfection, and we sure try sometimes. But we do fall short, and we have freedom to make choices. So we can't blame God for the choices that we make. He has given us the freedom to make choices. So when we make a bad choice, we can't say, God, why are you doing this to me? That's like my kids when something happens as a consequence of something they've done and they're asking why I'm making it happen to them and I'm like well you're the one that left your Lego out and then stepped on it had nothing to do with me I warned you about it and it's the same with God he gives us warnings and he gives us a code to live by but we can make choices against that so I just wanted to clarify that when he's talking about Judas here, it's not that the scriptures set him up to fail. He just knew God knows what's in our hearts. God knows our failings. And let's be honest, if we didn't have freedom to make bad choices, we'd be complaining about that too. So it's just the way we are. So Judas wasn't forced into the position by God. Judas knows our hearts. So Jesus is glorified in his disciples. It's a key point. Jesus' disciples bring glory to God. And that's because they had come to know that he came from the Father. So that's where that knowledge comes in. They are aware of who Jesus is. They believe that he is from the Father. He was sent by the Father. And they would glorify him further after the re resurrection. And we see that through the story of Acts. That they continue to glorify God. And that more people come to believe in Jesus. More people come to do the work. And the mission carries on and continues and it grows stronger. It becomes a huge movement, an unstoppable movement. I mean, look at us here today, right? So then Jesus focuses, he shifts his focus a little bit to his departure. Although I leave, they are remaining. And now that Jesus has set the stage for how his disciples are going to glorify him, he really starts to pray for us. He acknowledges 
that we are being left behind to continue the work. And he makes some pretty amazing requests on our behalf. There's a few of them. Verse, first part of verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So he didn't say, yeah, I'm going, let's bring them all with me right now. Let's take them to heaven right now and be done with it. No, no. He says, I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world. We are to remain in this world as his witnesses. Because we've seen what he does. We've seen what he can do. We understand his grace. We understand his forgiveness and his compassion. We're to remain as witnesses for that. The place for believers isn't to withdraw from the world, but we're to remain in the world and influence it for good. We're not supposed to close ourselves off from the world. We're supposed to live in the world. And Jesus asks for us to be used within the world. He's got a reason for, for us to stay here. And we see that in Matthew 15, 13 to 16. Be the light and the salt. That is our mission. That is why we're left here. We're to proclaim God and glorify God. So then the second half of verse 15 says, Keep them from the evil one. And that is a prayer for protection. That our lives and our ministries would not succumb to the evil that can so easily creep into our lives. Because let's be honest, especially in this day and age where things are thrown at us left, right, and center, and you feel like you're going to have a seizure just from all the information that's coming your way every second of every day. It's easy for evil to creep into your life or into our lives. But Jesus himself, the Son of God, prays for protection for us. He cares so deeply about us and about his mission that he is praying for us to be protected. And he has already sealed the victory, it's true. But there's more yet to come. He has sealed the victory, but there's still a battle raging. And we still need continual protection every day in our lives. We still pray for that every day in our lives as it is. That we're protected from the influence of evil. Jesus was doing that. Then we've got a big one here. Big one that uh, Jesus prayed. And to, to sum it up in two words, sanctify them. Verse 17. Jesus prays that we would be sanctified. So to sanctify means to make holy. Which is something that just happens like that. Right? No. It's a lifelong process. We got to toil away at it forever. But that's okay. It's a lifelong process. It's not something that happens overnight. And sometimes we can forget that. We think that, oh, I'm saved. I am perfect now. I've said the sinner's prayer and I'm good to go. Uh, 
No, no, that's just the start. There's, <laughs> there's a lot more to come. And it's not even just going to be a straight shot. You're going to be walking along, and then all of a sudden there's a valley. Oh, didn't see that coming. And, uh, there we go. Back out of it. Oh, now there's a mountain to climb over, too. But it's good because Jesus is praying for us. Jesus has said a prayer for us. Now, in this lifelong process, there's a couple of components to look at. We've got the relational component. There's separation from participating in and being influenced by evil. And we see a lot of that in things, especially Ephesians. We see a lot of talk about that, right? Rejecting the dark, um, calling out the evil that we see. So we should be separated from participating in and being influenced by evil. There's also a moral component to our sanctification. We're to be morally and spiritually pure, whole, separated from evil, and dedicated to God. So we need to be having a really good relationship with Jesus because that's our benchmark. That's how we know, okay, this is, this is what's holy. This is what's pure. We know that Jesus stood for these things. Jesus lived a life like that. That is the aim. We also need to not be participating in or influenced by evil ourselves. Jesus wants us to be set apart. But note that he has already said that we should be um, a part of the world. He wants us to be set apart but still a part of the world. He wants us to be holy but within the world. Not closed off all on our own in our corner. But how are we set apart? And we see that he says that we're set apart in truth. Now, if we go back to John 3.21, I'm going to jump here, and apparently I didn't mark that one down, or I didn't write it down. Uh, John 3.21 is where we first see the idea of um, practicing or doing in the Greek, truth. So John 3.21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever does what is true, does truth, practices truth. And then in 8.32... Jesus told some of his hearers that if they continued in his word, they would be truly his disciples. They would truly be his disciples if they continued in his word. And they would know the truth, and the truth would make them free. So these disciples who are with Jesus now for the farewell discourse have continued in his word, except for Judas. Don't be a Judas. Except for Judas, who had already departed. These ones have continued in his word, and they do know the truth about who Jesus is and why he has come into the world. And that's in verse 8. We, we see that. He's already said that they know who I am. They know that I am from you. So then Jesus 
can ask the Father to set us apart, to set the disciples apart in his truth as he himself is set apart for greater purpose. And what is that greater purpose? To go into the world as Jesus did. We're to emulate Jesus. Go into the world. Jesus went into the world, and he talked to the people that needed him. He went out. And he, he spent his time with people who needed to hear about him, who just needed to be loved. And it's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission that's been handed to us by Jesus. To go out. So we are being sanctified. Jesus is asking for God to sanctify us in order to do this work well. He's praying that God would set us apart so that we can continue to do his work. It's all about continuing to do the work that Jesus did. So now Jesus compared the mission on which he was sending the disciples to his own mission into the world, which he was sent by the Father. Um, and so we all know John 3.16, right? So God for love, for God. So, oh, I really missed the words there. I got them all mixed up. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. But then if we continue on, I didn't write this one down, too. I'm uh, falling apart here this week. But if we continue on to verse 17, as I slowly get there, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world. He was sent on a mission to show God's light to the world. Jesus will return as judge, but he was sent to be light first. And that's something really important to note. Because through this prayer, he's saying, I'm leaving them behind so that they can carry on my mission. And that's what his mission was. So now Jesus is sending the disciples in the world to continue that mission after his departure. The nature of this prayer for the disciples as a consec consecratory prayer is now starting to emerge. Jesus was setting them apart for the work that he had called them to do. And they were, in a sense, being commissioned. So think about when we commission people to go off and, and do work, do missions, that kind of thing. Jesus is praying a commissioning prayer here for us to send us off. So then when Jesus says that he consecrates himself, the meaning of the word here changes a little bit. I love Greek. It just kind of flows and gets to change depending on context. So in, in uh, 
chapter 10, verse 36, Jesus referred to himself as the, the one whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world. And that seems to look at something that was already accomplished. Here, however, the way that it's used, is it's something that he does on behalf of the disciples. So he's consecrating himself on their behalf. And this suggests a reference to his impending death on the cross. So there's a, a slightly different meaning for the Greek verb translated set apart. In the sense that it was used in 1036 and 1717, um, it refers to the disciples. It means to set apart and, and uh, in the sense of like the prophets, set apart to do work, um, to perform their tasks. But when Jesus speaks of setting himself apart, consecrating or dedicating himself on behalf of the disciples, the meaning is closer to the consecration of a sacrificial animal. Jesus is praying that he would be made holy, consecrating himself as a sacrificial animal. He's setting himself apart here, kind of dedicating himself to do the will of the Father, which is to go to the cross on the disciples' behalf. And, of course, then on the behalf of their successors as well. And as I was preparing for this this week, that was very close to bringing me to tears. That Jesus, in his prayer for us, is asking God to make him holy enough to count as the sacrifice for us. And that sits pretty heavily. Jesus prays for God to set us apart. So to conclude, yeah, it sits, it sits heavily. And Jesus prays for God to set us apart. To dedicate us to the work that we have to do. To leave us within the world and to continue his mission. We're being set apart for a specific reason. And he's told us what that reason is. Continue his work. Stay within the world. Continue his mission. And then he sets himself apart as the sacrificial lamb. And he died for us so that we can know the truth. His truth. His word. God set us apart for a reason. The cost of this was great. So let's not waste the greatest of gifts that's ever been given to us. We have to live in a way that honors that kind of sacrifice. We have to continue the mission that we were called to do. So let's remember, as we move towards the table here this morning, 
that the sacrifice that was made in order for us to receive it was done at a high cost. God himself gave up his human presence with us in order for us to have access to him. So Father God, as we head towards the table this morning, I just ask that you would let your sacrifice not be in vain, Father. That you would help us to live a sanctified life. And Father, that you would be present with us so that we know what that means. And Father, that this would be this time of remembrance that we're about to head into, Father, it would be a reminder of that. And God, I pray that we wouldn't take this lightly. As we near the time of celebration for your sacrifice, Father, I just ask that you would really Lay this on our hearts to remember exactly how much it is that you did for us and that you continue to do for us, Father. Because we can so easily forget. We can so easily become distracted by all of the other things in our lives. But God, at this time, please help us to focus on you. Help us to become holy in the same way that you were made holy. And help us to remember that you're on our side, that you are continually praying for us. that you're in our corner of the ring, God. So, Father, we ask these things in your name, and we ask that you would bless us as we come to the table. In your name, amen.